This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Uh, it's a joy for me this morning to introduce to you our guest speaker, Tony Carter. Uh, Tony is the lead pastor of East Point Church outside of Atlanta, a church he planted almost 10 years ago now. Uh, Tony has been a good friend to us here at Cornerstone uh, for a number of years and has served us in innumerable ways. Just to give you a picture of this, uh, Tony, yesterday we had a meeting with uh, the pastors of CCK and all of our deacons. Uh, Tony brought with them his executive pastor, Philip Duncanson, who works closely with the deacons of East Point Church. And if you're, if you're new to Cornerstone, we just installed deacons for the first time earlier this year. So we are learning, we're growing, we're seeking to serve the church. And to sit there for an hour and a half with Tony and Philip and to learn from them, to be able to draw them out. There's Philip right now coming back up. It's okay. And uh, just to learn from their wisdom, their humility and sharing with us. And, and just to have all the deacons there, all the pastors there, have an hour and a half to draw them out to learn from them uh, is going to serve this church in numerous ways for years to come. And Tony has consistently done that over the years as he's come to visit us. So he has spoken to our college students and volunteers for Christ. He's met with our student leaders. Uh, he's met with the pastors. He's met with our community group leaders. He's spoken at men's conferences. Anything we ask Tony to do, he pretty much does, except one thing we asked him to do was to beat Bill at golf. Humble him. Keep him humble. Came in this morning. His head is huge. There's one way you did not serve us, Tony, but in every other way, you have served us very well over the years. Thank you for being a good friend to us. Thank you for all the ways that you have served us, and it is a joy for us now to be served by you once again as you preach God's Word to us. So can we welcome Tony as he comes to speak to us this morning. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mike, for the um, introduction. Though I am sure by this time no introductions are necessary. Uh, what a joy it is, to, again, to be back here in Knoxville and to uh, fellowship with the saints here at uh, Cornerstone and to uh, renew acquaintances and uh, spend some time with my friend uh, Bill Kittrell. And just to be reminded just how needy he is. <laughs> And, um, and I thank the Lord that um, he has put me in his life to help him. I pray for you all. You know, it is a, it is, it is a tough spot to be, to, to be in a church where your pastor is so needy. I, but that's okay. And that, that is why, really, that is why on yesterday... Um, you know, Bill didn't so much as beat me. I just played worse than he did. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Because, you know, if we play a hundred times, you know, 99 out of a hundred, he will come away feeling awfully bad. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's right. So I am pleased to serve him in that way. Amen and amen. What a joy it is, again, uh, to renew acquaintances here and to uh, be asked to come and to uh, preach and to share with you uh, during this time that um, you have been studying on the um, Paul's letter to the Galatians um, with a, a theme of the Reformation in the background. As this year, uh, all over the world, uh, Christians are uh, remembering, commemorating uh, the 500th anniversary of uh, Martin Luther, that German monk, nailing the 95 theses on the church door there in Wittenberg, Germany. And what a remarkable event and occurrence that was as the Lord used even that moment in history to begin to change the world and even to revive uh, the church of Jesus Christ. And I am glad that I am able to come uh, at this time, uh, during this um, themed time, to share with you uh, along that theme as well. I won't preach from Galatians, because uh, I've been listening to Pastor Bill preach from Galatians. And again, I want to serve you and not preaching from there and allowing him to... Uh, to have that, that space. But what I do want to do is continue that theme of um, the Reformation and call your attention to uh, Psalm 46. If you have your Bibles, I would ask you to turn there to the 46th division of Psalms. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, that you have been so gracious to us, even this morning, in reminding us of our need of Christ and then supplying all that we need in him. We thank you um, for the joy that we have in you through Christ Jesus. We thank you for the love that we have from you in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the peace that we have in you through Christ Jesus. We thank you that in Christ we have all that is necessary for life and godliness now and for all eternity. We do pray even now that that is the portion of every person under the sound of my voice. Grant us a new and clear vision of who you are in our lives, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. <clears throat> now, when you think of Martin Luther, those of you who are so inclined to do so, when you think of Martin Luther and uh, you think of the Reformation, what we generally think about is the theology of the Reformation. What we usually think about and talk about uh, are the 
are things like the five solas of the Reformation, or we talk about the uh, recovery of the, uh, the authority and sufficiency of the Scripture, or we discuss the recovery of the cardinal doctrine of justification by faith alone. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that the Reformation was more than just some ivory tower theological experiment. The Reformation actually touched, touched and, and transformed nearly every aspect of life, both inside and outside the church. And in that sense, then, the Reformation, what it was really about, the Reformation was about worship. It was a transformation of worship, both worship inside the church and both worship outside of the church. And in particular, that worship inside the church was particularly transformed, transforming of the music and the singing of God's people. In fact, it has been said of Luther that Luther put singing back into the mouths of the people. Before Luther and the Reformation, before the uh, nailing of the 95 Theses on the church door and all that resulted from that, when, when, when Christians would come into worship in a church, generally speaking, the congregation was mere spectators. The clergy performed the liturgy and the congregation watched. And the reason, beloved, that we sing today with our hands raised and our voices filled and lifted up to God together is because Luther began a reformation in which he insisted that God's people Worship together. Now, admittedly, admittedly, you know, he would probably not even recognize what we did here this morning. <laughs> he would uh, find himself apprehensive at some of the expressions that we just experienced, but that's for another sermon. But Luther would have loved the expression of Christians gathered together and singing. Now Luther himself said, the gift of language combined with the gift of song was only given to man to let him know that he should praise God with both word and music. Namely, by proclaiming the word of God through music and by providing sweet melodies with words. Luther loved congregational singing. 
And as a result of the, uh, of the Reformation, hundreds, hundreds of hymns immediately became av available with Luther, Martin Luther, in fact, leading the way. Luther is therefore credited with writing some 36 hymns, many of them based, based squarely upon the Psalms, most notably Psalm 46. Psalm 46 provided the inspiration for his most well-known hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And what does, it, what does the psalm say? Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the, the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Luther wrote a mighty hymn. He wrote a mighty hymn based upon a mighty, a mighty psalm. And consequently, this psalm is often called Luther's psalm. It was no doubt among his favorites. It was a comfort to his soul. During the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s here in America, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., named after Martin Luther, in fact, often faced the dangers of terroristic threats against his life and his family. And one of the ways that he would cope with these distressing times and situations is that he would call the famous gospel singer and his friend Mahalia Jackson. And as she was on the phone with him, he would say, Mahalia, sing for me. And she would sing, Precious Lord, take my hand. 
Lead me on and let me stand. I am tired. I am weak. And I am worn. The Reformation was a dangerous time for Martin Luther. He lived under constant threats of his own life and bouts with doubt and depression. And when he was feeling like Dr. King, melancholy and a bit down and needed confidence, he would often call upon his friend, Philip Melanchthon. And he would say to Philip, Philip, let's sing the 46. And they would sing the 46 in its raw, uncut version. A sure stronghold, our God is he, a timely shield and weapon. Our help he'll be and set us free from every ill can happen. Speaking of the 46th Psalm, a Lutheran scholar has said that few Psalms breathe the spirit of sturdy confidence in the Lord in the midst of very real dangers as strongly as does this one gives confidence and steals a confidence. It is a psalm of a confidence. And in fact, that's what the Reformation was in a sense, beloved. The Reformation was a move of confidence. Confidence once again in the word of God. Confidence once again in the power of God. Not confidence in ourselves, or as Luther would remind us, confidence in popes or consuls, but confidence in God himself. And as this psalm would remind us, therefore, there's reason for God's people to have confidence. It reminds us of why Luther loved it so much because it teaches us two important truths. The first one is our help is our God. That God is our help. And the second thing that it teaches us is that our hope is in God. That God is our hope. God is our help, and God is our hope. Isn't that how the psalm begins in, in verse 1? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Or as Luther would put it in his mighty hymn, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in time of trouble. What, what the psalm reminds us then, even from the outset, is that we all need help. Like Bill needed help to beat me yesterday, and I gave him that because he wouldn't have done it without my help. And so, 
reminding us, all of us, all of us, that we need help. That's what the song Luther penned and the psalmist penned, reminding us of the universal condition of all humanity, that we are people who stand in the need of help. For all of our demonstrations and protestations of, of freedom and independence, and my children are great at that, love to demonstrate and protest their freedom and independence, as we all do. Fact of the matter is, we are a helpless lot. We are born helpless. We die helpless, and we live our lives on a daily basis, constantly in a helpless condition. We live our lives assuming help from people. We assume the help of our families. We assume the help of friends. We assume the help of the state. We assume the help of the church. We are dependent beings, depending on dependent beings. And therefore, beloved, no matter how many books are written and no matter how many shelves are filled up in the bookstore, self-help is an oxymoron. There's no such thing. Because if I would, if I could help myself, I wouldn't need help. And for the Christian who recognizes his or her need, he doesn't look to others or to himself for help. He doesn't look to self-help books. But as the psalmist says, and as Luther reminded us, he or she looks to God. For God, beloved, is the only truly independent being in the universe. His existence is, is not contingent on anything or anyone. He is truly self-existing. And since his existence is not contingent on anyone, and since he is not a dependent being, therefore he can truly be of help. And he is. He is our help. For to help someone, you need three things. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but from now on you will. To really help somebody, you need three things. You need to be ready, you need to be willing, and you need to be able. You need to be really ready, willing, and able. <clears throat> and when you need help, and we all do, and you have to call a friend what we often find 
is that we have friends who are ready to help. That is, they are uh, not otherwise occupied. But though they are not otherwise occupied, they may not be willing or able to help. Or we will have friends who are willing and able, but they are not ready. Or we'll have friends who are ready and willing, but they're not able. Beloved, the thing about God is that God is always willing. God is always ready. God is always able. This is what the text means when it says that he is a very present help. He is always available. He's always available. He is never otherwise occupied. His helping me does not preclude him from helping you. When I call a friend and I call him to help me move and he knows that I'm calling to help me move, he doesn't answer his phone. And then I call again, and he doesn't answer his phone. And I call again, and there is no answer. And then when I finally see him, and I say, hey, I needed help moving, and he says to me, whoa, I didn't know. I was asleep. Sleep speaks of inattentiveness, of being unaware of, speaks of inability. Those who are asleep, beloved, have to be awakened in order for them to act. You know what Psalms 121, verse 3 and 4 says? Speaking of God, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Those who are asleep are not ready. And the Bible says, Jehovah never sleeps. Because not only is he ready, but he is able. He is able. When my son was small, he was always willing and he was always ready to push the lawnmower. He just wasn't able. <laughs> and funny thing, once he got older, <laughs> he was able and he wasn't otherwise occupied. He just wasn't so willing. <laughs> With God, beloved, some may try to question his willingness, but none can question his ability. He is able to help. There is no trouble 
There is no temptation too much for him. Notice the text reminds us the mountains may tremble and even fall into the sea. The sea may roar and swell, and yet God is in the midst of his people, and he is their help. He is able. He is always able. This is the testimony of God's people throughout the ages. God is able. Ask Abraham, is he able? Ask Joseph, is he able, beloved? Ask Moses, is he able? Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they are standing there about to go into that fiery furnace and they say, he may not save us, but don't ever doubt his ability to do so. He's able. And that is a testimony of God's people. Let the nations rage. Let kingdoms make war. God is in the midst of his people. And as verse 7 says, he still is our fortress. My mother's generation was put in fear of a nuclear holocaust. Our generation is put in fear of global warming. And tomorrow, there will be another looming disaster to disquiet our world. Hurricanes blow, fires rage, President Trump tweets, Kim Jong-un threatens, but for the Christian, beloved, the song is always the same. Though the world with devil's field should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We need not be afraid. For he is our help. And not only is he our help, if he is your help, then he is your hope. Then he is your hope. But the text in the psalmist is reminded, what should be the response of those who know that the God of Jacob, the Lord of hosts, is their help? Well, their response is this in verse 9 and 10, right? He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Beloved, let the world worry. Let the world be disquieted and let the world come to the church and hear Christians be the voice of hope. 
let them come to our doors and hear about hearts resting in the sovereign good providence of God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still our tongue. That's what the text is saying. It reminds us, you, you look out into the, the world and let the wars rage to the end of the earth. Know that God is breaking spears and bows. He's burning chariots. You and I be still. Stay calm. Be still your tongue. Quiet your heart. Quiet your mouths. And let God be exalted. To hear from God, beloved, is to be quiet. Someone taught me very early on that when you're talking, all that you can learn is what you already know. Be quiet. Because what you will find, beloved, what you will find is while you are busy talking, God is silent. But if you would be silent, you would hear God begin to speak. And this is why he says, be still. Be still and know that I am God. And if I am God, I am your hope. Place your confidence in me, not in your ability to argue or to articulate your way out of the situation. Be still and know that I am God. I will speak for my people. I will defend my name. Be still your tongues. Be still your labors. If you would see the, the, the work of the Lord, then you must seek from, cease from your labors, beloved. This is the way the Lord works. When you finally realize and you come to an end of yourself and you put down your lab laborious tools, then you begin to see the mighty hand and work of the Lord. Isn't this what the Lord said through Moses to the children of Israel as they had come to the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14 and 13? There they stood with the, red, the mighty Red Sea before them and the mighty chariots of Pharaoh behind them and fearing for their life, knowing that they had come to an end of themselves and fearing that this would be all there is. Moses looked out upon the people and said, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. 
among the nations. I will be exalted before Pharaoh today. You be still. Be still your tongue. Be still your labors. And be still your hearts. Be still your hearts. I, I am convinced as, as long as I live the Christian life and the longer I live it, the most difficult command to obey from God is don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. I am always amazed when I read that in the Bible. And I'm just thinking, who is God talking to? I don't know those people. Don't be anxious. And I'm thinking he must be talking to people who have no kids. He must be talking to people who have no classes. He must be talking to people who have no bills, who must be talking to people who have, he must be talking to babies. <laughs> and yet, the command is clear. Don't be anxious. And I don't know about you, beloved, but Anxiety for me is as natural as breathing. It meets me when I get up in the morning. And it follows me all around the day. And yet every time I open my Bible, in various ways and in various places, I hear God saying the same thing over and over again. As Jesus said in John 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Be still your hearts. Trust in the Lord. Believe in God. If there is anything that could ever have been said about Martin Luther, it is this, beloved. He believed in God. And I am convinced that all the things that God did, all the things that God did as a result of uh, um, what was going on uh, during the Reformation and because of Luther and um, his giftings and abilities was due in large part simply because Luther dared to believe God. He dared to trust the Lord. He dared to believe that God was right. Now I want to suggest to you this morning let not your heart be troubled. And do not be afraid. But be still and know that Jehovah is God.
Be still. Be still your heart. Be still and know that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Be still. Be still. Be still and know that he has promised to work all things out for good. Those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Be still. Be still and know that nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Whether it's tribulation or distresses or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Know that for his sake, we are killed all the day long. We are like sheep who are being led to slaughter. And yet in all of these things, be still and know that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For we can be assured of this thing, beloved, be still. Because neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, be still. And know. That the Lord of hosts is in the midst of you. And the God of Jacob is your fortress. Or as Luther would say, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that might be? Christ Jesus, that is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age, the same. And he, beloved, he must win that battle. The mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, because he is our present help in time of trouble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning, Lord, that we are reminded that you are with us. You are in the midst of your people. That storms rise and even if mountains fall into the sea, Lord, you are with us. You are our fortress. If this world would experience a great uncreation, we look to you who has created all things and know that you are ready, willing, and able to help your people. Oh, a mighty fortress you are this morning. Lord, I pray that there is no one here under the sound of my voice who doesn't know you in the pardon of their sins. 
that even now, that you would be their help. Help them to see Christ. Help them to love Jesus. Help them to receive Christ this morning and to worship him as their Lord and Savior. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.